Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading, the Gospel reading, comes from Luke's Gospel. It's on page 1049 of the Church Bible. It's Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we come before you as prodigal son, as rebellious older brother. Conscious of your love reaching out to us. Lord, would you open our hearts to you this morning that your word might speak into our lives, might touch our hearts. Come by your Holy Spirit, open our ears that we might hear your call and our hearts that we might respond to you with gratitude and devotion. Amen. So last week, we were looking at this same story. We were thinking about the two alienated brothers. One, an overtly rebellious son, the other, a silently rebellious son. We recognize so well, don't we, that independent streak, that, uh, that sense of um, uh, need to prove ourselves that uh, we identify very strongly with the younger son in the story and we skip with him straight to that point later on in the story um, in the far country where we watch his rise and fall. But for the father, disaster comes much, much sooner. It's a struggle for us to understand what's really going on here, partly because we think so differently about inheritance here in the UK. We've come to see inheritance in monetary terms as, uh, as something liquid that uh, we can divide up and hand on. An estate is valued, an inheritor may well have to sell off um, part of the estate in order to pay taxes, in order to hand on the rest. And because work doesn't tie us to the land anymore, we no longer have any sense of obligation to the land which was passed on to us and which we will one day pass on to our children in our turn. 
Equally, to avoid tax, parents are encouraged to uh, think about passing on some of their wealth in advance during their lifetime. And so children, in consequence, come to consider their inheritance as a negotiable asset. But in the Middle East, it's completely different. A researcher writes, for over 15 years, I've been asking people of all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implications of a son asking his father for his inheritance while his father is still alive. And the answer has almost always been emphatically the same. The conversation runs like this. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Answer, never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? Because this request means, I want my father dead. The researcher notes only two instances where such a request had been made. In the first case, the son was driven from his house. The second is related like this. Pastor Viking Galustian of Iran, with a convert church of Oriental Jews, reported that one of his leading parishioners had come to him in great anguish and told him, my son wants me to die. The concerned pastor discovered that the son had broached the question of inheritance. Three months later, the father, a Hebrew Christian, a physician in previously good health, died. The mother said, he died that night. The shock to him was so great that life was over. Well, Middle Eastern uh, culture still contains many echoes of biblical practice. And Jewish commentaries on the Bible and the law suggest the same. In asking for his inheritance while his father was still living, the prodigal son had paid a mortal insult to his father. A man had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, I wish you were dead. Imagine the shocked hush of Jesus' listeners as they hear him in horrified fascination, knowing what will happen next. The father will beat the boy and drive him out of the house. And the son will soon realize he's thrown away any chance of an inheritance. So here's the astonishing first twist in this story of Jesus. Instead of throwing him out, this father decides to grant his son's request and to divide the property, secure enough in his love for his two sons to endure their rejection. The younger son, not surprisingly, leaves town in a bit of a hurry, aware of the anger and hostility that he has raised amongst the neighbors caused by his insolent behavior. I was listening to Nigel this morning, and he drew my attention to the fact that the little phrase uh, in the Greek suggests that uh, the son, as he gains his inheritance, not only takes the cash with him, but also takes everything else that he has. It made me think what it would be like if my daughter, going off to university, 
had not left all her stuff all over the house. Some, would, some might suggest that that would be a blessing. But imagine what it would be like if, you, if I went into her room and found that the whole room had been utterly cleared. There was not a single sign of her presence left in that room. This is how it was for that father. His son cleared out completely, took his life with him and went and left his heart father heartbroken. But he does not stop him go. He allows him to take all that he has been given by his father and to go off and live his own life. Such is the generosity, such is the freedom with which this father loves his son. Well, in the far country, as we know, unfortunately, things turn sour as the starving and miserable son makes his decision to turn again and to return and journey home. He's aware of several uncomfortable uh, meetings, uh, encounters that are awaiting for him. Most significantly, of course, with his father. In Jewish law, even if a father chose to settle his estate in advance, he retained the proceeds from his land for as long as he lived. But this son hasn't only insulted his father, he's also squandered his livelihood. How will his father react to him now? Jewish law uh, instructed the father to, um, to beat the son and permitted uh, stoning to death. A scary encounter awaiting the son. But before he even gets to his father, he has to run the gauntlet of public animosity in the village. The moment he appears in the village, he will be surrounded by a mob of jeering onlookers, a frightening prospect with stones so close to hand. But as the crowd closes in around him, what is this extraordinary sight? His father is running towards him. An oriental nobleman in flowing robes never runs anywhere, I'm told. It's undignified. It's humiliating. It's also extremely awkward to do. But this father has been watching out for his son. Perhaps he knew that bankruptcy was inevitable. He also knew the bitter welcome that this failed emigre would receive returning to his home village with his tail between his legs. So spotting his disconsolate arrival way down the, uh, the road leading into the village, watching from the rooftop, he dashes, panting through the village, desperate to reach his son before anything terrible might happen. Perhaps he's aware too that his own dramatic entrance and humiliating arrival will draw the attention of the crowd off his son and onto him. Gasping for breath, he throws his arms around his son, who is in rags, still reeking of the pig, pigsty from which he's come. And ignoring the state of his son, he smothers him with kisses again and again. That's the wording in the Greek. He, Greek, he went on kissing him again and again. Quick, 
He shouts out to the servants who have run with him. Fetch the best robe. Whose best robe? Mine, of course. To show the world that I honor my son. Get him out of these rags and put him into my best robes. Put my signet ring onto his finger so that he has my authority, so that he knows that I trust him. Put shoes on his feet as a sign that he is a son of the house and must be deferred to, must be honored for my sake. Now kill the fattened calf, the one we've been, uh, we've been preparing, the one which is too big for our household, and so we'll have to invite the whole village to come and eat it with us, because otherwise the meat will all go off. How public a reconciliation this will be. The whole village must come and join and share in my joy. Rescued beyond all expectation from the villager's scorn, the dazed son finds himself restored to a place of honor. A lost son is found, not by chance, but by the extraordinary generosity of this amazing father. And Jesus' hearers would have understood all too much how much it cost that father to make that kind of public demonstration of forgiveness and restoration. It's absolutely clear what Jesus is saying here. This is a story of our Heavenly Father, of a love so generous that it accepts our insulting demands for autonomy and shares with us the riches of this world. Even though our Heavenly Father knows how disastrous our decisions are going to be and how much we will hurt each other. And of course, how much we will hurt ourselves when all our decisions go wrong. Should we, like that younger son, recognize our failure and need and contemplate returning to our Heavenly Father, hoping for help and care that no one else can give us, we might expect anger and rejection. But Jesus says this Father is so unspeakably generous that he has no such thought. He is so glad to have us turn again, to have us return home, that his forgiveness is instant, that he bears for us the shame of our past, and he offers to us a future so rich in intimacy and significance with him. In fact, in a richly ironic twist, it's the older son in the God the Father story who journeys into this far country to do what an older son should do and to bring us the news of our Heavenly Father's longing for reconciliation for us. Mired in the pig slough of our wretchedness or stamping around the courtyard of resentful loyalty, will we accept our Father's selfless kindness in coming out to us? Will we let him put on us around our shoulders the glorious robes of his righteousness 
and put on our finger the ring of his authority? Can we let ourselves be led into his home to eat of the sacrifice that he has made for us and so taste his wonderful joy? But there is more. Our Heavenly Father doesn't just want us as prodigal sons, forgiven, leaving behind the wretchedness of our past, our pleasure-seeking or self-serving, to return home. Nor does he merely want us to drop the self-pitying resentment as faithful older brothers and enjoy the relationship with him that we already have. More than that, he wants us to become fathers like him. On this Father's Day, of course, we celebrate those who have the opportunity, those who try their hardest, those who for us have succeeded in one way or another in being this kind of father, humble, self-sacrificing, forgiving, restoring, empowering, honoring, loving their children through thick and through thin. But in fact, God the Father wants each one of us whether men or women, whether we have physical children of our own or whether we have none, he wants us all to join him in sharing his father heart for his children. For those of his children who run to us seeking refuge or who stamp around outside rejecting our choices and resenting them. We are God's sons and daughters. And God the Father wants us to live in fullest blessing of that relationship with him. But he also wants us to grow up from being mere children, concerned only with our own blessing, and become beyond that those who will also seek the blessing of others, regardless of the cost to ourselves. And that cost can be very great. I guess you've been reading with horror and with pity the stories coming out of Charleston in America of the young man who's gone into a church like us, except a black church, but like us, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, and has shot them up out of some deluded and disastrous sense of rejection and resentment and distortion of his own sonship. And we have seen with wonder the capacity of that congregation to step into the shoes of their Heavenly Father and like him to forgive this young man. We shouldn't underestimate the cost that forgiveness like that might require. Let me finish with a similar story, but which comes from one of the Truth and Reconciliation trials in South Africa. A frail black woman faces a white security police officer. This officer, Mr. Van der Broek, had come to the woman's home, taken her son, 
and shot him at point-blank range and then burned the, the young man's body on a fire while he and his men parted nearby. Several years later, Van der Broek returned to take her husband as well. And then two years after that, Van der Broek came once more to fetch the woman herself. She was taken to a place beside a river where she was shown her husband, bound and beaten, but still strong in spirit, lying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him aflame were these. Father, forgive them. A member of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission turns to her and asks, so what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, begins the old woman calmly. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses, then continues. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Van der Broek to become my son. I would like, would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto where I live and to spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining in me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbroek in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Vanderbroek, overwhelmed by what he has just heard, faints. And as he does, those in the courtyard, in the courtroom, family, friends, neighbors, all victims of de decades of oppression and injustice begin to sing softly but confidently. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Through the prodigal son, we learn the humility 
to turn again home. Through his brother, the faithfulness to accept and to welcome. And through the father, we learn that despite our insolent and insulting and profligate treatment of our heavenly father, our squandering of his gifts, he stands on his rooftop longing for our return and sends his son rushing to receive us with open arms. But more than that, we find the courage with our Heavenly Father to bear with rejection and to choose to bless, to care for those he loves and to restore them whatever the cost. I'm going to finish with a prayer of St. Paul. For this reason, we kneel before the Father from whom his whole family, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. And we pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in this astonishing fathering love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be beyond our deserving beyond our imagining filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, his only begotten Son, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.